Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Crystal Clear Watchmaking uh, podcast. Now, we are in double digits, Jay. Yeah, and the last one of 2019. Yeah, we've accomplished something, you know? Yeah. We're we're one more digit closer to triple digits. I'm sure that'll come <laughs> soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Another ni- 90 more. 90 weeks, two years, less than two years. Yeah, so... um. Before we start on the main topic, do you have any watch news for us? Just a small personal news. I've bought. I I, I know you guys. I've mentioned before. I have a Seiko SKX 009, the Pepsi one. Uh huh. Um, I just recently got an SKX 013. Um, that's the smaller one because I've. It just fits better, and I and they're and they're discontinued. I figure I might as well get a black bezel one that fits a little better. So I'm wearing it right now. Is is the 009, um, is that going to get uh, resold or something? No, I think I'm going to keep it. It's, it was my one of my, I think it was my first automatic watch, actually. So I'm probably going to keep it. it. Just just for keepsakes, they discontinued the SKXO. And it's still, like, I'll still wear it from time to time, even though it's a little bigger. But they wear small. Just that, that SKX013 just fits better. So Okay, gotcha. Well... With the with the impromptu um, wristwatch check, I guess I'll I'll throw in mine. Yeah. I'm wearing an old Seiko Five. Um, this is back when they were using the seven oh oh nine movement, so a bit of a predecessor of the type of stuff that they use these days. And uh, I just bought this watch actually. Um, it's very minty, and I've got a a seven oh oh nine that I am working on so i just wanted to get a bunch of replacement parts in these old seiko fives there's they're still cheap nice so so we're both wearing seikos today we are seiko day now i've got some other news um yeah, sure one of them i saw on instagram and i did not uh verify in any way <laughs> okay. but um what i saw was that apparently Swiss watchmakers, if you look at their uh, sales, um, these big groups have come out and said that basically their sales now are about as low as the end of the quartz crisis. So the end of the court. Okay. So it's not like worst as it's ever been or anything, but it's like pretty not great. But that's like, what's the trend though? Has it been going? It's been going down. I take trend it. is a little bit down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. I, I mean, I could see it. I mean, I mean, we're gonna be talking about something related in terms of brands soon, but I think um, this day and age of smartwatches, there's I haven't seen that before. So. Yeah. Now this other bit of news um, that I've got here is actually a bit of a follow up to our our Christmas episode. Um, mm-hmm. You had mentioned going to Basel World as a possibility, as a gift, yes. Yeah, and I was talking about um, SIHH as well, mm-hmm. which sounds like it's going to be awesome. Okay, this okay. is news that I hadn't really heard too many people talk about. It's not. This isn't fresh news or whatever. Um, okay. But I thought it was worth mentioning because I hadn't seen anyone talking about it. It'll probably become more in the forefront as the next SIHH. Um, nears right and and when is that for for everyone out there uh it's it's in april 
Okay, so it's around springtime. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I love about this, okay? So kind mm-hmm. of like Basel, they used to be like pretty closed off. So historically, it was, I guess, about however long it was. I'm trying to know here. Because only the journalists really pay attention to this kind of thing you know we just get the right we just get the images on websites and stuff and nobody really goes yeah. to the to the things and that's yeah. why they suck basically yeah <laughs> right unless you're a journalist yeah but they would kind of do like journalists and um ad's and stuff could do all their deals and then on the last day they would let in the general public at sihh hmm. so now they've changed it in an awesome way now okay. it's public all days. Every day is public day. Um, and SIHH will be a part of something that's going to be known as Watches and Wonders, which ah. I kind of like. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's bringing it to sound less ridiculously posh because SIHH stands for the Salon International de la Haute Horologie. <laughs> that's that's a mouthful it is so now it's going to be watches and wonders sihh will be like a part of that but they're gonna actually have it be um a bit of a widespread affair spa- uh, not just in the convention hall or whatever right so you're gonna be able to tour watch companies that are nearby and it's in geneva so there are watch companies nearby um there's going to be tours that have some watchmaking history. Um, some museums will be open. But here's the awesome part. So there's going to mm. be hand-on workshops that are going to show attendees um, workshop demonstrations um, with, like, stone setters, engravers, uh, like, uh, dial enamelers, and watchmakers. And you're going to be able to see them do all this stuff. Crazy. Yeah, so it's going to be like a, a trade exhibition show for the public. I mean, it sounds awesome. This compared to Basel World, I'd go here, just based on what's been right. described. Yeah, it's. I think they've totally rebranded to Watches and Wonders. It's uh, that the, the website is actually just watchesandwonders.com. Oh, is that is that what they say? Yeah, I mean, yeah. What what the thing that I'm reading here is basically that SIHH. Uh, will like kind of exist, but that'll be kind of the people in the back doing their their deals, selling watches to authorized dealers and stuff. But uh, watches and wonders is going to be a lot of the like public facing stuff, and it's going to be there for the whole duration. So I think it's going to be right. actually pretty awesome. And and also I'm looking on here, it's going to go to Miami too in February of 2021. So. Closer to North America. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! I'm gonna go. I, I, yeah, it's it's pretty likely that I'm gonna go. Really? It's it's February twelfth to fourteenth, twenty twenty one though. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty far out. It's pretty far out. Yeah, yeah, but it's surprising they announced it so far ahead. But yeah, yeah. I mean, with a big with a big group like that, you have to plan. Like it's kind of like the Olympics. You know, they plan yeah, a couple years yeah. ahead. The Olympics, a yeah. lot of years ahead. They're like decades yeah. ahead. It's not like the Olympics, okay? But <laughs> you get what I mean. It's the Olympics of watches, okay? There we go. There we go. <laughs> so I thought that that was really nice. And I think this is the kind of thing uh, that is a good reaction to their, like, sales problems and stuff, you know? 
Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the very like promotion. standing above you and you know, like not being as welcoming and being more posh. I don't. I think that's probably bad. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah. It, that that only works for so long, and then once like it's a fine line you you can't you can't over saturate your brand but you can't be too closed off either mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so i thought that was that was good news and the one in miami man i'm i'm gonna definitely stretch <laughs> to make that happen if i can at all yeah maybe we should meet up that would be awesome that would be awesome yeah we're planning it's far in the future away. just like sihh yeah. is <laughs> yeah so now that we're done with our watch news, we do have a topic for today. Yeah. And the topic is top three watch companies, and we did we didn't discuss any sort of um any conditions, like why it's the top three. Yeah. Like what does top mean? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. is it yes. heritage? Is it oh man, they re- they released a cool watch this year. I'm gonna call them the top watch. Okay. <laughs> that seems like a kind of a shallow reason, but okay, yeah. But, you know, I would say, you know, depending on how deep back you're going, it might just be a watch release. Like, oh, Timex. I want to put them on the top three for this year, you know. Yeah. Because of the Timex Q or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So. I I think this will be, it's it's almost about like how you interpret what what you think is top. Yeah. So this topic is very fluid and there's a lot of brands that honestly could have vied for this. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's... So just because your favorite brand isn't on the list doesn't mean it's not in the top three in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> These are just our own opinions, obviously. Yeah, and I I, I am very um, objective. I'd be willing to put something in the top three that I wouldn't even buy a watch from. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so we got this list. Who should start off with the first one? Whew. I don't know. Um, you you want to go first? Okay, I'll go first. Now, of course, the temptation okay, is, is, is... Are we to any particular order? No, I don't have an order, personally. Okay, okay. Me, me neither. I mean, because it's so... There's Like you said, there's so many you could fit in there. There's just three. Yeah, there's no reason to order them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the the easy temptation could have been to, to use the quote-unquote holy trinity of watch brands mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is Audemars Piquet, Vacheron, Constantin and Patek Philippe. They've all been around for forever and ever and ever. Amen. They've all done many things in their time. Uh and they inspire designs from other companies. Yeah, they make they make some nice stuff. So but I'm not going to do that. Okay. Okay. I'm good. starting with Rolex. <laughs> oh, okay. That was actually on my list too, but that's okay, cause I, cause I'm gonna put something else now. <laughs> no, no, no. you we'll compare I think Rolex I, I, notes. I, I, it's I okay. even it's suspected okay. we would both say that. You can't. You, you, it's okay. It's okay. We can both have yeah. Rolex. You don't have to add a new okay. one. I'll, I'll go through my logic. Okay. Okay. So here's my logic for Rolex. Okay. So it was founded by Hans Wilsdorf, of course, and one of the interesting things about him was that he was a businessman. Okay, not a watchmaker. So it's kind of an unusual setup. Um, and you can see that he's a businessman, even in the name Rolex, because it doesn't have any inherent meaning. He just wanted a name that (laughs) anyone could pronounce, even if you spoke like many different languages, 
Uh, he wanted it to look symmetrical on the dial, so I guess odd number of letters. And mm. he wanted Smart. it to look good in 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 print, you know. Um, yeah. So here here was the idea, which is he wanted to sell wristwatches to men, which at the time nobody was doing. Men used pocket watches. Wristwatches were for women. I did not know that. So there was it was it started out as a as as a woman thing, female thing. Yeah, exactly. They were considered like <laughs> little jewelry pieces or whatever. And so whether or not he was correct in all the gender politics of it or whatever, he thought what how do I sell stuff to men? I need to prove that it is something manly to wear, something that's technically impressive. Um, and something that other manly men would wear. So, mm-hmm. so what he did was, is he took his wristwatches and he put them in accuracy trials. And then he would say, look, we got the number one most accurate wristwatch. And he put that in his sales stuff, but everyone was doing pocket watches. He was the only one who put a wristwatch into the trial. <laughs> ah, so it's like when you give your, give your dad and you've only got one dad, and you give him, and you say to him, "You're my favorite dad," you know. Right. It's like, yeah, I'm your only dad. <laughs> so he did this early on um, against pocket watches, and easily stole the crown of most accurate wrist watches. And so here, here's a few other things that he did. Crazy. Is he said he wanted them to be manly men watches. So. One of the earliest things, 1928, was the Oyster Case was created, which was named because it was quote-unquote waterproof. Today, we call it water-resistant. And he'd put them in... But they still they still use the term Oyster, right? They still do. And I think that kind of the meaning so, has been lost, that that was tied to water resistance. Yeah, I, I think it's almost like a marketing brand thing now, more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. So... So he would put them in, like, fish tanks and stuff to show how water-resistant they were when he was selling them. And um, that was in 1928. He also, this one's pretty surprising, first automatic winding rotor. Wow. So automatic watches, Rolex. And he called them perpetuals, which is a little confusing because of the perpetual calendar complication. But they were called perpetuals because they would always keep winding themselves. And that was in 1931. Right. Now, shockingly, that's not the end of the early list, which is he made the first date-only wristwatch. Ah. So the date just just had the date, (laughs) right? Right. That was in 1945. Now, it's kind of funny because it's almost a regression because perpetual calendars already existed. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah, and he was like, you know what? Mostly you just need the date. Let's just put a date wheel on this thing. <laughs> and so the first... That's, which is true. Watch, I agree with him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It makes total sense. You know, he was a businessman. So he was thinking right. on these terms. He wasn't thinking like, what's the most amazing complication that I can show off as a watchmaker, right? Right, right. So that was in 1945. So... He's done the thing where he said, oh, look how accurate they are. I went to these trials and submitted the only wristwatch. (laughs) Then he did stuff that made it tough, you know, manly. He made it water resistant. 
he made it uh, so you didn't have to wind it and, um, you know, had the date for for a man who's who's doing business. I don't know. Yeah. Now, the big thing that he did was he put these watches on manly men's wrists. Okay, so Mm -hmm. Mercedes Glitza, he swam the English Channel with an oyster on in 1927. I remember, yeah, I remember that's one of the first, like, kind of like, uh, like he got someone to basically be like a like a sponsor for the watch. Yeah, and he did this sponsor over and over and over again. There was a flight over Mount Everest in 1933. Those guys were wearing Rolex oysters. Right. Sir Mal- Malcolm Campbell broke land speed records um, in Utah, and that was in 1935. He was wearing a Rolex. Uh, so we've got. We've got guys who are great swimmers. We've got plane pilots. We've got guys going 300 miles an hour <laughs> back in the day. Um, Chuck Yeager, he was wearing a date just when he broke the sound barrier in those uh, hypersonic planes. Oh, I did not know that. That was a big moment, actually. Yeah. Sir- when he broke the Mach speed or something. Exactly. Mach 1. He broke, he broke it. Yeah, that's right. Sir Edmund Hillary is uh, the expedition that first is known to have topped uh, Mount Everest, they were wearing oyster perpetuals in 1953. Hmm. Now, also in 1953, in honor of that accomplishment, they released the Explorer. So they tied that to the to the Everest thing. Ah. Um, they launched the GMT Master for pilots in 1955. They sent the Milgauss to the CERN laboratory in 1956. They sent a deep-sea special experimental watch on the Trieste bathysphere, which went 10,916 meters down the Mariana Trench. Ah. Uh, James Bond, very manly man. There was a submariner, a submariner in the first Bond film, 1962. Oh, I, I know James Bond more recently switched to Omega. Yes, that is very true. Yep, yep. But... Um, and then the... Rolex Daytona was launched uh, for people that were getting these land speed records again in 1963 because that's the tachymeter on on the bezel. Hmm. So this whole thing where he made wristwatches and then he wanted to prove to men that they were manly and for accomplished guys, he basically started wristwatches. And so outside of all of the nonsense there is so much nonsense with rolex just ridiculous <laughs> what, what, what do you mean by nonsense like with what goes on at ad's and everything and yeah manufactured See, scarcity that, i mean they yeah. make millions of watches each year and we're yes. acting as if they're rare you know yeah and all this yeah. nonsense I, yeah i i was just at a christmas party yesterday and one of the guys um they were my wife's friends and I was talking to this guy who's really into watches as well. We we're talking, we we're talking about this very topic, how Rolex manufactures the demand. He was saying, yeah, just a few years ago, uh, you could get a GMT for like four or five grand brand new. And, and now it's like over 10 grand. If you want to get one, it's like insane. Yeah. So <clears throat> despite whatever you think about Rolex today, I'm putting them on the list because they literally started the whole wristwatch thing and putting it on men's wrists. So I have to give mm-hmm. them credit. Yeah. Um, just, just to, for me, I mean, I don't, I don't have the whole history like you, which is, that was all good to know that just as, as someone, as an outsider, I mean, Rolex is just the, 
one of the most prestigious brands out there. I mean, it's like um, in Asian culture, I know if you have a Rolex watch, it's a sign that you've quote unquote made it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at Wimbledon, it's always the official timekeeper for for the Grand Slam there. Um, a lot of, you know, celebrity, like you said, in the back in the day, they had, you know, famous, uh, I don't know, athletes, pilots wear it. But now it's like celebrities wearing it. When people see it, it's just, you, you know, it's an expensive watch. So whether that manufactured scarcity that they're doing is working or not, it's, it's working in terms of they're driving up the value. I mean, it's making people not happy that they can't buy one, but um, it definitely is, you know, uh, making it like there are other brands that have been like that in the past. And Omega comes to mind where they've flooded the market. Now it's kind of like lost a bit of luster, the name, in my opinion. So that I, I think Rolex is afraid of that, which is why they don't want to put too much supply out there yeah to me i look at at uh rolex as sort of the they're like the mcdonald's of luxury brands but at the same time it's like they only launch mcribs and people are out front of the mcdonald's and they're like oh i want the new mcrib i'm so excited but it is still mcdonald's (laughs) yes yeah and relatively speaking in terms of like luxury watch brands um, like I don't even have a Rolex, so but I it was on my list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever own one. No matter how mm. much money I have, I'm not sure that I have great interest in owning one. But for this episode, I've got to give them one of the spots. Uh, yeah, that's it, and that speaks to the brand. Neither of us own one. You might never own one, and yet it's on our both our list of top threes. I mean, that's that just speaks to the strength of the brand. All right, now. Would you like to do the next one on your list so that I don't steal from you twice? I'm starting to get concerned. Sure. You know? Okay. And now I have a feeling you might have this one too, but okay. On my list was Seiko. Um, we both happen to be wearing Seiko today. Seiko is one of the, I mean, they're unlike role. They're, I guess uh, I'm putting it with Grand Seiko as well. So Seiko and Grand Seiko. That's totally um, fair. Yeah. It's just, because, I mean, they both have Seiko in the name. And we've already talked about how Grand Seiko, you know, they have the best movement. I mean, they, they've they've out-Rolexed Rolex in terms of with the, with the spring drive. They're innovative. The fit and finish on them is amazing. Uh, you know, it, back to the Seiko brand, you've got the SKX, which is one of the most iconic. Like, that, that's a lot of people's first watch. Their starter watch is, certainly was mine. Yeah, affordable um, dive watch. I mean, you could get a Seiko at a Macy's, but you could also, you know, pay thousands of dollars and get a Grand Seiko. I mean, they're they have you know all their bases covered. They, they, to me, they're they're not as they don't have the cachet of a Rolex, and I don't know if they ever will. Um, they have you know if you buy a Grand, I was again I was talking with my friend yesterday. We got to talking about Grand Seiko. Grand Seiko is one of those watches where you would you would pick up as your second or third. Like you maybe wouldn't buy it as your first watch because you. A one of Rolex and other brands are much higher than Grand Seiko, but Grand Seiko it's known amongst watch enthusiasts. Whereas mm-hmm. Rolex, everyone knows Rolex, right? You know, Bob, you know, down the street knows Rolex, but not everyone knows Grand Seiko and knows the value behind it unless you're actually really into watches and you know the movement and you know the history, um, you know what it's worth. So 
I mean, if if you're into watches, you know Seiko is one of the most iconic brands to me, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would buy Grand Seiko down the line. Their you know their their spring drive is revolutionary. Um, you know, I'm I I have what, three Seikos myself, and I would get more. So, so some people, I think, when you start out as a Seiko. And then you move into other brands, but for me, it's like I would still continue buying Seiko. It's I don't know something something about them. They're just they're just iconic. They, they may not market as well as Rolex, so not many people know about the quality of their watches. Um, they might think they're just a cheap brand, but to me, to me, uh, they're like you, you said. Rolex was like the McDonald's of the of the watch industry. To me, Seiko is like the Toyota in terms of car companies. They're the reliable. You know, they'll last forever. I thought we were going to continue with a fast food reference here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but McDonald's is like the top for, to me, fast food. So I I don't know what Seiko would be. I I think it would be the P.F. Chang's or something. The P.F. (laughs) Chang's. Is P.F. Chang fast food? You you sit down, though. Right. I'm saying it's not fast food. This is actual nice luxury quality, you know, reasonable for the price, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if um, you've noticed. I don't go to McDonald's anymore. I had somebody go with me, and it's like, you pay way too much for food at McDonald's. Like, you could easily eat, like, a $7 meal at McDonald's. It's like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> no, see, see, you're you're not doing it right now, because you, you got to use the app now. And in the app, there's always deals every day. So okay. you might get a free fries, but you got to order through the app. You don't, if you order, like, you know, like, the normal way through the cashier, you're going to pay full price for everything. But if you order through the app, there's always deals now. Okay. I mean, yeah, I was just, I went there with somebody um, and they did their order and I did my order and they're like, okay, that'll be $13. And I was like, how am I paying $13 for two people at McDonald's? This is insane. Well, that's not that bad. That's like what, six fifty dollars a person. I mean, with inflation nowadays, that's, that's not that bad. I feel like I should be able to eat at McDonald's for $4. Maximum. You could, you could, but you just got to get the right stuff. If you, if you get what you want, you're going to pay full price. If you get, you know, what's cheap, if you get like the value, there's the value menu. You probably didn't get that. <sighs> I guess, I guess. See, I'm a McDonald's enthusiast. Like, I love McDonald's. <laughs> okay, we got a McDonald's defender. <laughs> I'm a Taco Bell defender. Oh, you like Taco Bell. Okay, huh. really nuclear hot take. Better than Chipotle. <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> it's different. I, I'd say it's different. Like Taco Bell isn't even Mexican food. No, and I don't. I don't <laughs> think it even pretends to be too much. No. You know. Yeah. Um, but back to Seiko. It was actually also on my list. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's two for two already. I know, but I promise you, we're gonna have a have a have a split at the end. Okay. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think because yeah. I just know that you haven't picked this company for the end because I picked a real a real doozy for the end. So I'm going to do a little bit of the history lesson again to kind of justify myself in picking Seiko. Okay. So King Seiko and Grand Seiko were two actually competing Seiko factories were making these. Okay. But they were both under the Seiko umbrella. Yes. Um but I guess the like uh, CEO of Seiko or whatever at the time thought that a little competition would be good. Um, mm-hmm. So he had the two factories compete against each other. And then those watches then went to the chronometer trials in Switzerland. 
Now, I don't know how to pronounce this at all, but it's like the Nuchatel Observatory. Um, Seiko first entered uh, the competition in 1963. By 1967, Daini Seikosha and Sua Seikosha, which are the two factories, took second and third place as manufacturer rankings, with the number one place wow. uh, being held by Omega. So in just four years from when they started, they're like dominating. Now, after that happened, the contest was just canceled. They're just like, we're not doing this right. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So then Seiko went to the Observatory of Geneva, where they were doing chronometer trials still. And they got fourth to tenth place in wristwatches in 1968. Okay, so, so I, t I take it the Swiss were still in the top three. They were. So what happened was okay. contest canceled. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> so the Swiss... That's, that's kind of bad that they cancel it just because Seiko's winning. Yeah, the Swiss were just like, we're not, we're not doing this nonsense. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Take our toys and go home. Yeah. So, I mean, this shows just how powerful they were in very short time, okay? They were really innovative in these Swiss brands that have been around for forever and were maybe a little bit slow. They, you know, they lost, they really, they really right. got their butts kicked. And then, of course, uh, in 1969, Seiko releases the Seiko Astron, the first quartz wristwatch. And this begins the, uh, the quartz crisis. Now, of course, for Seiko, it was the quartz holiday. It was the quartz great time because they were selling tons of quartz watches at the time. They were doing great while the, while the, the Swiss really suffered. Um... But they didn't stop innovating. They did a hand-wound quartz movement, the 8T23. This was in 1986. And so right. just like a watch today, you would like take the crown and you would hand-wind it, and it would charge your quartz watch. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah, there's so yeah, there a little like capacitor in there that you charge with, uh, you know, by creating electricity by rotating the crown but it took forever it took like five minutes mm -hmm. to, to to wind it <laughs> mm -hmm. so you're just sitting there winding and winding and winding but then the same year they released kinetic quartz which basically they took that that same idea but just used an automatic rotor mm -hmm. so they made an automatic quartz watch basically and those are pretty cool i would say that it was an innovative idea, but it didn't catch on because if you don't wear them for a while, it like damages the capacitor or whatever. Right. So you can't like let it die because then it's a problem, I guess. Yeah, that kind of that kind of sucks, especially for watch collectors because a lot of times you're just sitting there. Yeah. So, but they were still trying to push forward. Now, in 1999, they released the Seiko Spring Drive, which I think is basically their big change from when they first released the Seiko Astron in 1969. Um, so 30 years later, they take mechanical and they take quartz and they put it together into a real elegant uh, monster of, of a movement, the spring drive. Um, right. Now, Grand Seiko. You notice there was King Seiko and Grand Seiko, but in the 1990s, Grand Seiko gets relaunched as a luxury brand, King Seiko, it remains in, in history. Yeah, because they lost uh, Grand Seiko. Well, they didn't lose. <laughs> well, I mean, like, 
they lost. Uh, that's that's how I heard it went down. They lost, and so Seiko basically said, "Okay, it was a competition, right? The the they were supposed to compete against each other, and King Seiko lost." It was a friendly competition. What happened was is Grand Seiko did do some more sales. Uh, some people hypothesize that because the first Grand Seiko uh, launched with a chronometer certification and King Seiko didn't, that the Japanese um, sort of thought of Grand Seiko as a step above King Seiko from that point onwards, even when their movements were very similar in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that happened was there was a King Seiko caliber that came out fairly early on where... You know the thing where they tell you don't change the date between like you know yeah yeah, yeah they still do night. on Seiko they yeah, still yeah, do yeah yeah uh, King Seiko released one where that was particularly fragile so a <laughs> bunch of people were breaking their King Seiko uh, quick sets see uh, and 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 that's you know that's that's kind of like people don't listen to that direction a lot of the time so yeah I'm, yeah I mean I they really should do something to fix that i mean it's only enthusiasts and people who actually follow directions that do that i bet you most people who own seikos don't care about that and just do it set the time anyway or set the date anyway yeah i've seen i saw a watch dial that had a complication that there was a time period where you couldn't use it and when you couldn't use it it would put a little red dot over the dial it's like a warning ah. it's like, it was like a warning dot <laughs> that's cool I, that's kind of yeah that's like a, a complication yeah i think that would be cool to put on uh quick set date stuff but i'm just thinking people would just look at the dot and be like hey that's a pretty dot and still change the date yeah but their their competition ended you know basically friendly terms it was just that they had to switch to doing courts and doing this mechanical competition didn't make sense anymore yeah, but I think they just wanted one name to focus on when they re when they relaunched, and I think that Grand Seiko, because of those two reasons that I gave, had a little bit more prestige in the Japanese mind, and that yeah. that's why yeah. they relaunched with just Grand Seiko. But I I think King Seikos are awesome. Yeah, personally, I think King Seiko sounds better than Grand Seiko. That's just me. Yeah, dude, if they relaunched King Seiko, I'd be so hype. Yeah, right. Other bit of trivia is that vintage King Seiko stuff goes for a lot now. I heard. Oh yeah, I know so because I have if you two. Can of them. find it. Oh, you, you have one. <laughs> I have two. Oh, nice. We should should show me those one day. Uh, uh, I think there's maybe like one picture on the Instagram, but yeah, I'll I'll, I'll definitely share it with you. Nice. So yeah, so basically, I think Seiko deserves to be on the list because they in in the times of mechanical. They fought against the Swiss, and they won in short order at the chronometer trials. Um, and then they started the courts uh, crisis. Um, and so, and now they're doing Grand Seiko, which is gaining more and more respect. So because of all of these things, I think that they're one of the like big seismic changers in, in, in wristwatches. Kind of like how Rolex started the whole thing and cause that seismic change. I feel like Seiko also did one of these really big uh, changes in how we look at watches. Yeah. So, so related to that. So again, I was talking to my friend last night at this Christmas party, and we had this hypothesis, and we we're saying because Rolex started out as a like they didn't start out as a luxury brand. Obviously, they started out just to get you know this just to sell wristwatches. 
we're saying Seiko could become the next Rolex in like 20, 40 years because they started low end, you know, all these discontinued SKXs could be worth a lot down the road because they started small and they could become, you know, they could become the next halo brand, luxury brand down like way in the future. Who knows? <sighs> yeah, maybe some like, er- I feel like if, if Seiko uh, like Grand Seiko in particular became really well known. Yeah. I feel like the ones that would really jump in price might not be the XKXs because they really did make quite a few of those. But in- they did. instead, the like vintage Grand Seiko King Seiko ta- battle times. Yeah, I feel like all yeah. the watches from that time would probably explode in price. Yeah, it's 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 tough because Rolex. Uh, I mean, Rolex has. Tudor too, but Rolex was always one brand, whereas Seiko, they already have a quote-unquote luxury brand, so it's hard to see, like as you are saying, Seiko, the, the normal Seiko, turning into a luxury brand when they already have a luxury brand. Yeah, they already have a luxury brand, and you know, like, when you when you think about Tudor, it's not diving the depths of affordability like Seiko did. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Tudor was still, like, pretty fancy yeah you know yeah it's still expensive you're not gonna find Tudor at like macy's or something yeah or at seiko you know you could get one for 50 bucks you know whatever yeah but yeah if grand seiko takes off that would be pretty awesome and it wouldn't hurt the price of my king seikos in my watch box either <laughs> yeah I, it's just it, it's it's hard to say how like how and when it takes i'm sure seiko would love it if grand seiko took off but i mean if for watch enthusiasts you know grand seiko you know is is you know that's it's they're up there right like they're yeah. they're they're you know they can rival rolex in fit and finish and movement so i think they have better finish than rolex when i yeah. see macros on new rolexes now like the indices have like little scratches on them <laughs> and like when you look at the indices on a grand seiko they're like mirror polish perfect every time yeah the super close macro shots. Yeah, and the Rolex ones. I mean, you can't see it with the naked naked eye, but when you get in there with a the loop, they're like, yeah, pretty scratchy. I mean, it's. Yeah. I'm looking at it like, bet, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> they have the brand name, so that's that's the way it is. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but I I I do think that uh, that Grand Seiko could make a name for itself. I'm not sure what they need to really break through the veil and make people realize how good they are but yeah it might happen again seiko they don't have the marketing power of rolex so not even close i mean yeah yeah. i mean maybe you got to get brand ambassadors like super famous celebrities to wear them yeah yeah that seems to be what watch companies do but i don't see seiko having like a brad pitt wearing them so maybe there's a japanese guy that's famous that we don't know who wears them yeah in japan (laughs) yeah the other thing I heard is that if this is a buying tip for Grand Seiko, uh, I don't have a Grand Seiko, but um, I heard that if you go to Japan and you buy uh, like a, a used Grand Seiko, they're almost just as good as brand new ones there because in Japan they treat their like yeah they have a lot of respect sense, for yeah the yeah they don't beat beat them up and there's like it's very nice secondhand market there and you get it at a steep discount so that that is a good tip although. You have to be going to Japan for a trip in the first place. Otherwise, yeah, your plane yeah. tickets are probably going to eat up that. Uh, <laughs> that I mean, I mean, there's other things to do in Japan, so there is. I've been there. It's, it's an awesome yeah. place to visit. Yeah, it's a cool place. 
So do you want to do your third on the list or should I do mine? Yeah, you want to do yours? Because I think I did Seiko, right? Wasn't that the second one? Yeah, well, you did, did Rolex, Rolex and Seiko. We and both then I did Seiko. Yeah. Yeah. So I promise that I'm doing a different one from you, okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you will. So okay. the next one is Eterna. See, I never even heard of that. I, <laughs> I know. I gotta, I gotta look it up now. They were started in 1856. You don't have to look up anything. I'm gonna tell you. Okay. You're gonna become knowledgeable. Okay. So, okay. so the I guess they used to be a small Swiss brand. Okay, they're not well known. Now, in 1948, they had the idea: let's put on the automatic rotor. Let's do that with ball bearings, and you see that pretty much on tons of rotors now. I think it's just the standard five ball bearings. If you look close, you can see them on a lot of rotors. And um, that's now their logo. Five ball bearings in a star pattern. Oh. Um, if you've seen the back of a magic card, how they have the five colors, it looks just like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> currently, they're in a bad, bad place, okay? They're being sold and <laughs> resold to different investment groups. Nobody knows who they are. They have no brand value. Um, You've never even mentioned them before. Yeah, they're super unstable, okay? Now, here's the deal. They used to make movements for other brands a lot, kind of like Jaeger Le Coltre. They They mostly mm-hmm. made movements, Jaeger. And only recently have they actually been making the full watch. You know what I'm saying? Right. So Eterno was doing a lot of that while they were making their own watches as well. And they got really good at it. And they decided in 1932 to branch off part of the brand to focus on being a movement supplier. And they called that movement supplier Etta. Ah. So Etta. That I've heard of. Yes. Etta today. They're the biggest Swiss movement maker. They're owned by the Swatch Group. They supply movements for all the brands in the Swatch Group pretty much is my understanding. And other Swiss brands, okay? I mean, they are massive. So, born out of Eterna comes Etta, okay? (laughs) And during the court's crisis, having that consolidation where all of these different brands um, can get mass-produced, still-made-in-Switzerland movements, that helped them push prices down, helped them try to compete in, in the court's world, and this was really important for for the survival of a lot of brands who, you know, got bought by the Swatch Group and got folded in. Mm-hmm. Now, they also make the Valjoux 7750, which is the most common mechanical chronograph, chronograph movement, like, ever, okay? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. There's probably more of this movement than any other, maybe all of the other... Uh, mechanical chronograph movements made in the last 50 years combined. Wow. Like, this Dude. is the chronograph movement, the Valjoux 7750. Wow. <clears throat> so that was made uh, by Etta. Um, now, in 2002, something very interesting happened here, okay, which is that Etta said they would stop selling movements to brands outside of the Swatch Group. Hmm. <sighs> and then something very unfortunate happens. The Swiss government steps in, okay? Mm-hmm. And they do, like, an investigation on them like they're the mob. <laughs> Wait, on, on Eterna or, or Edda? On, on Edda. Okay. And they say the government 
forces them to supply competitors with movements. <laughs> which is just the most ridiculously non-capitalist thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> That's weird. I wonder why. There, there must be some background po- po- politics or some trade deal, something like that. I mean, I don't know. I think I think maybe the Swiss government is very into the idea of Swiss watches, you know, and it's like an important part of Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So they stepped in. It kind of reminds me of when the U.S. government bailed out a bunch of American automakers, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's that's different. They're, like, helping them, whereas this is, like, telling them what to do, kind of. Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., I feel like maybe they should have put some strings on these automakers because they were like, okay, thanks for bailing us out. We're going to move all of our stuff to Mexico. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally did not help Americans yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. It was such a bad investment. It was weird. Yeah, yeah. but... So the government steps in. They say you have to supply your competitors with movements, and you're only allowed to slowly ramp down. Well, I mean, obviously, that's going to really hurt the brand. So what happens is, um, you've heard of Salida movements? Yes. They're also Swiss. They're basically nobody. Uh, (laughs) And then people saw, oh, well, Edda's going to cut us off. It's clear that Edda's going to cut us off. So this just, like, (laughs) helped Salida boom. Right. Yeah, right. And another thing that it kind of forced a lot of these uh, companies to consider is making in-house movements. Well, that's harder to do. That's why you get uh, Etta or Salida, because you you don't want to spend the money to do that. Yeah. So when when Etta threatens to cut them off, they're like, well, maybe we could make our own movements and not suffer when this happens eventually. Um, And so... Uh, the in-house thing, of course, uh, was a bit of a consumer thing, too. Some yeah. consumers started realizing that their friend's different brand watch that was a chronograph had the same value 7750 as their chronograph, even though they're two different brands. Yeah. They're like, what's yeah. going on here? <laughs> and one cost way more than the other or something. Yeah. So, so um. So this kind of pushes in-house um, movements. It pushes Salida into the limelight a lot more. Um, but what I have to say about Etta, they, they're really interesting because what tends to happen with these in-house movements is they come out and they're not as good as you'd think. Okay. Well, yeah, because it's their first shot at it. Exactly. Etta's been doing it forever. So they come out, and what happens when a bunch of these watches are released is Sometimes watches come back to the brands for repairs, of course. And the brands aren't just blindly fixing things. They're kind of taking note of what things are breaking, you know? Right. Like, oh, this one wheel tends to tilt and scratch the main plate. That that happens really often. Or like, oh, this other one, our our date change mechanism keeps jamming on Thursday for some reason. (laughs) You know, like whatever, you know? There's you t- can't have stuff like that on an expensive watch, is a thing. Yeah, so there's tons of little problems that creep up when you make your own movement. But since Etta made so many of the same movement, they got a lot of that information back. And now, I'd say, if you take the average in-house movement and compare it to an Etta, I mean, Ettas on average, I think, are going to be more reliable, shockingly. So... Right. So your fancy brand with your fancy in-house movement, it might not actually be better than the Etta of the same. (laughs) 
Right. Uh, yeah. So you have to give a lot of credit to Edo. They make some really, some really great movements, and um, they played a huge part in the Quartz Crisis. And of course, from their parent company, Eterna, making a more um, efficient winding rotor was their big thing. And so, so I'm finishing off with a bit of a, a movement supplier and kind of the history there. No, yeah, I like it. But I mean, so two two things. So they're still they are still the same company at Eterna and Etta. Nope, they're completely different. Etta is owned by the Swatch Group. Eterna is not owned by the Swatch Group. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Eterna, like I'm looking at their website. I mean, they got the line called the Contiki line that doesn't sound very high end. But and that's charging thousands of dollars for it. The website is not that great um which like when you said it was in a bad state i i can see why or not see why but i can i I see see what you're talking about yeah i mean what to say about them now i mean they're in big trouble they they recently actually produced a new watch movement um which took a long time for them to sort of uh to sort of come up with but it's basically a one movement does everything watch movement. So it's extremely modular. So you can say, okay, here's the base movement and I want a chronograph. And then you can add the chronograph and it works. And then you can be like, right. I want a chronograph moon phase. And then you can do that. Or you can oh, be that's like, pretty cool. Yeah. And so you can just like add different complications or subtract different complications. And it's all using like a lot of the same parts and it's supposed to be like one movement with lots of different modulations. Interesting. Yeah, so it's kind of a th- of a thing that they worked on, and and I don't know, maybe Edda right now. It's kind of like um, you know the game Unreal Tournament. Yeah, play mods. Unreal Tournament literally was pretty much just made to show off the Unreal Engine. Okay. Yeah. And then other companies would lease the Unreal Engine, and. Uh, yeah. That was kind of the point. So yeah. I don't know if Edo right now, they're kind of like the Unreal Tournament. They're just showing off this uh, this movement, and maybe somebody will buy them and just take the take the movement and start putting that cool modular thing into their own watches. Right. So does Eterna even use... They, they use Edo movements, right? Even though they're separate companies now? Nope, nope, they don't. Oh, so, okay, so, it's com- so they're completely... They use Eterna movements, is my understanding. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> but I don't even think their designs look too good these no. days. They're like, Ugh. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's, it is subjective, but the, the amount they're charging... I mean, the, the, A, the amount they're charging for it, and just there's no there's no presence. I mean, I, know, I haven't even heard of them, but the history <laughs> is, is rich. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I think it's pretty much just history. I I don't have, I don't have a, a hope for Eterna regaining the limelight as this really important player. Like I have hopes for Grand Seiko. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sounds sounds like a Greek tragedy almost. Yeah. So what's your third uh, watch watch brand? Okay, so my third watch brand, I, I'm yeah, I, I was sure you didn't have it, so I'm just gonna put it out there. Probably controversial is Apple. Oh they my make a God. watch, you might have heard of it, called the Apple Watch. It's the best-selling watch right now. Um, I mean, it's, I, I think it deserves a spot. I, 
here, here's. I mean, everyone knows the Apple Watch and smartwatches. The, the smartwatches are almost like. I don't want to say it's like the quartz crisis, but in term, it's kind of threatens traditional watches again. Um, but the other thing that and the reason, one of the big reasons I put them in there is that I think it got a lot of people into the luxury watch market. Uh, I agree with that statement. App, you know, like it's it's almost like took down. This is my personal experience. When I was a kid, I. You know, I could only afford Casio, so I had the calculator watch. You know, Casio had a lot, and obviously Casio was most. I don't even know if Casio makes automatic watches, but there's the main thing was quartz watches. But it got me into other watches at the time. There's no Apple at the time, but I think Apple kind of has taken that role for the millennials now. Got get gets them into a watch that's you know that's cool, and then you know people dig deeper and deeper, and they get into a Rolex or something because they want to, you know, expand beyond. Yeah, Apple Watch is one shape, you know, one shape, one look. I mean, you can change the strap on it, but um, it's, I think it's A, gotten people into watches, but it's also revolutionizing how people think of watches now. It's, you know, it's how, it's it's like, you know, this, when, I, when an iPhone came out, you know, phones were not the same ever again. Yeah, I agree so, with that. And the, the other thing is it gets people who would literally never wear a watch because they would be like, oh, I have my phone. Why would I want to wear right. a watch? Well, now Apple's giving them a reason to wear a watch. Now they're used to wearing watches. Yes. Maybe they yep. branch out a little bit. I'm not sure that it's actually hurting the Swiss at all to have Apple Watch around. I mean, yeah. I mean, it got me into watches. The guy who designed the Apple Watch, um, I've... I, he, he designed the iPhone too. I, f- I forgot his first name. His last name is Ive. He's no longer with Apple, but he was really into watches and he wanted, he almost had this vision of the Apple watch was going to be like a luxury. When Apple watch first came out, they had like a, the special edition and he wanted it to be like haute couture and sell for, sold for thousands. as like pure gold. Yeah. You but, can buy like fancy gold ones and stuff now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you can. You can buy titanium ones, ceramic cases. But the thing is, like, it's it's hard to spend a lot of money on an Apple Watch because every year there's going to be a new one. So, and, That's and you know how, how fast technology moves. Like, if if you bought a Rolex, it's going to last you your life. Like people pass on Rolexes to their kids and their kids. But, you know, you're not going to pass an Apple Watch on to your kids. It's <laughs> going to be, you know, it's going to be archaic Obsolete, by the time. yeah. So... It's 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 you know it's it's a it's it's a brave new world. I mean, other companies are copying the Apple Watch. It's right now it's the best smart watch. Dare I say it's selling the most? But that's probably because iPhone has got such a dominant market share and it only works with iPhone. So. It probably is just the best smart watch. I mean, just because they've got so much money to put behind the development and everything. It's not like a side project. It's like a big. Yeah fully funded thing yeah and I, I i used to use android so i you know dabbled in and uh, what do they even call it now google wear android wear or something like that but so the th- cool thing with android is that you could get any watch face you wanted so you could make your watch look like a rolex like just you know because it, it was round and then you could put the rolex watch face but apple tightly controls that stuff you can't just make your apple watch look have any watch face you want it's got to be like blessed by apple in order to put it on your 
Apple Watch. Yeah, they kind of want it to like represent the brand. So they never want an Apple Watch to look stupid because you made yes, it look stupid. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just like everything else Apple. It's you know, it's a walled garden. The there's a lot of apps you got to pay for. You can't just, you know, load any app you want on there. But um I mean, you you have CEOs wearing app like you see Apple Watches everywhere. I mean, a lot of, you know, it's 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 not just a cheap watch, but it's it's utilitarian watch. You know, it's like how watches first started. Was, they were tool watches. And now, you know, you, you, you can't say the Apple Watch is like has the most tools of any watch, you know, or the yeah. smart watch category. Although, to be fair, I feel like I feel like a lot of people kind of want to unplug from the insane. Everything I own is giving me notifications and that's true and digital everything. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah yeah so like like i keep my watch I, my apple watch on silent mode like i don't even it doesn't ever make noise ever it's never in its lifetime made any kind of sound at all that that sounds good to me so i, I mean it has it has a movie mode because yeah like it's a lot of people do do want to unplug but but at the same time it's convenient a lot of time to be able to look down and see the weather and like no, uh, you know, you know, mechanical watch I know can do that. <laughs> well, when I look outside right now, I tell you weather. It's raining. It's <laughs> raining here. I've I've got flood warnings uh, in my area. It's gonna be raining for the next eighteen hours or something. Ouch! I, we had a huge rain a couple of days ago. And we got a, a leak in our house, and I just had to reseal our window the, yesterday. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah. Um, uh, uh, Apple holds a place in my heart in terms of watches. It got me into the whole. I mean, you've been into watches way longer than I have. So, but Apple to me is like it, it, it had to have a place. I think I think it's kind of reasonable. It's kind of in the way that uh, that Seiko's on my list. You know. Yeah. Or both of our lists. So so our list for today. I did Rolex, Seiko, and Eterna. You did Rolex, Seiko, <laughs> and, and Apple. I'm yeah. I'm surprised our lists were that close, honestly. I, I knew we'd both have Rolex. For sure, We you have to. Anyone who does these lists got to have Rolex. Seiko, to me, I thought... I, I was surprised you had Seiko, honestly. Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. I guess despite being many miles apart, we are close in, in our hearts. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's the Disney ending to the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're at Seiko. List. So I'd like to plug some socials. Um, we've got the uh, we've got the YouTube channel, Crystal Clear Watchmaking. It's going to be a video out in the next couple days because uh, I got a couple watches for Christmas for people, and uh, I just opened up the packaging and then quickly took some video and then packaged it back up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So I got a couple of those, but I couldn't release them before Christmas. Um, and then we've got the Instagram, uh, which is a great place to go. And, uh, you know, follow other people on Instagram, too. I, I didn't really like Instagram that much, and I couldn't imagine myself using it. But now, every <laughs> once in a while, I open it up, and I just flick through looking at really nice watches <laughs> for just a couple minutes. It's nice. You caught the bug. I have. Um... And I, I think that's it for me. You got anything you want to say to the people? 
No, I'll I'll be posting up a shot on what the wrist of my new SKX zero thirteen for those oh, yeah, I want to see smaller that. wrists. Yeah. Can you do a comparison where you're like I can, yeah. That would be awesome. I I can put them both on the wrist and then you can see the size difference. Um put one on each yeah, wrist, right yeah. and left. I don't know who's yeah. holding the phone. Get the wife to hold the phone. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I could get the wife to hold the phone or use a stand or something, but Okay, it, well it, now I have something to look forward to on our Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I I think they're both. It's it's, it's weird. I'll, I'm gonna keep owning and wearing both of them, but um, Seiko. It's a good brand. But other than that, I just want, just want to wish everyone a happy new year. Thank you for listening to us this year. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have a whole bunch of podcasts in 2020, and if you have any suggestions or feedback, always welcome. Oh yeah, I mean feedback. We love that stuff. Yeah. Especially uh, you know, Apple podcast ratings. That's yeah. that's the that's the Rolex of feedback right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you next week. We'll continue to discuss gears, springs, oils, watches, brands, all things watches and watchmaking. See you all in twenty twenty.